Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. On this episode, I talk vulnerably with Allison Mertzman, a fellow mom and breast cancer survivor, about how the journey of this disease is life-altering and a struggle that lasts a lifetime. At no point did I ever feel like a warrior. I feel like a survivor. I survived um, an insanely traumatic, mentally, physically horrible event in my life. And that's what I did. I was not, I did not warrior through. There were days where I couldn't move. Hi, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I know um, we're here today to to talk about something that isn't always the easiest to talk about. And I I know we have a lot of things in common, but I wish this wasn't one of the things that we had in common. We are both breast cancer survivors. And um, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, which is pretty much starting right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought it would be great to, um, you know, have you on the show today to, to share your story. And I'll share a little bit of mine and just hope that it helps someone else out there that might be going through the same thing or that has gone through the same thing so they can relate to the experiences that we've gone through also. Yeah. So um, so if you wouldn't mind just starting us off and just sharing a little bit about your story, maybe when it first started, how did you find out you had breast cancer? Um, you know, if you had a family history, anything like that, just how did, how did those first, that first initial time start and uh, what was that like for you? So last summer, 2021, I started having some, just some pain in my armpit. It started like June and it was kind of annoying, but it would come and go and it wasn't bothering me. But about four weeks later, so like end of July, um, my arms started to go numb and I couldn't quite figure it out. And then I saw um, kind of this rope that went down across my left breast and it's actually called Mondor's disease. And um, ironically enough, my dad is an OB-GYN and he specialized in breast cancer for the last 30 years. Wow. And he was like, oh yeah, it just looks like Mondor's disease. You know what? Follow up with your OB, your gyne and um, just, you know, have her look at it, have her do a physical exam. So I went into my gynecologist in like August 
after July. So just like a couple weeks later, she had me come in. She couldn't feel anything. She's like, nothing feels amiss. But she said, hand exams are not perfect. I'm going to send you for a mammogram anyway. So um, she was like, it's not a rush. I'm sure it's nothing. So, um, you know, just schedule it. Schedule it, you know, for as soon as you can. But like I said, not a rush. So three weeks later, I went into my mammogram and I wasn't expecting anything. And, you know, when they asked, what are you in here for? I was like, oh, I've got Mondor's disease. Um, it, it looks okay um, right now. But, you know, my, my gynecologist wanted me to just follow up and make sure. And they were like, okay, no problem. And because that's what I went in for, the... Um, the tech who had done my mammogram, you know, that she kind of explained what was going to happen. So they did do a mammogram. She goes, you know, we probably won't see anything, but if we do, we'll send you in for an ultrasound just to look. And they, they schedule them back to back just in case. And if you don't need to go to the ultrasound, they just cancel it. Um, so I went in for my mammogram and she goes, um, you know, there were just a couple of pictures we wanted to just like retake. And then she was like, you're actually going to go in for your ultrasound. I was like, Mm. Right. I thought I wasn't, I thought this was going to be fine. I was like, okay. Um, so I went in for my ultrasound and, um, the lady was just going over the left side. She was like, you said there's nothing on your right, right? And I was like, nope, just the Mondor's disease on the left. Um, and she was like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, give these images to, the radiologist and she's going to look them over. And I was like, okay. And in my head, I'm like, oh, they see like an infection or because Mondor's disease is like basically associated with having an infection. So I was like, that's probably what it is. That's why my armpit hurts because Mondor's disease, infection, it's bothering my lymph nodes, blah, blah, blah. Like in my head, that's all I ever thought it was. Exactly. To my shock, surprise, dismay, absolute heartbreak. It was cancer. And she came in and a lot of people don't know about a BIRAD score. And BIRAD scores are very, very important in kind of figuring out what a suspicious mass or something that they want to take a closer look at is. And so just for all the women out there, if, if you do run into a situation like mine, and you may because one in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime, um, ask what your BIRAD score is. Ask your scoring because that's going to give you a good indicator before you go into your biopsy what you're expecting. So my BIRAD score was a BIRADS BC which is highly, highly suspicious of cancer. And I knew instantly, I knew even before my biopsy, I was like, I'm not showing the common symptoms. You can't feel a mass. You can't feel anything in my armpit, but they have find it. It was tiny, but it had already spread to two of my lymph nodes because I had a pretty aggressive kind called Um, it's the HER2 positive receptor, which is a pretty aggressive, fast growing cancer. And so, um, she was like, it's a BIRADS BC. And so I was like, all right, we're, we're in the likelihood of cancer and it had spread to two of my lymph nodes. And I was, I was visibly audibly destroyed in that room. And, um, 
you know, my, I did call my dad at the time, like I mentioned, he was, he specialized in this and he was asking all the questions. Um, he asked about like the lymph nodes and their appearance and their appearance was actually okay. So, um, the cancer had spread recently. So it wasn't like it hadn't been there a super long time. So while the lymph nodes were measuring larger, um, they weren't like outrageous. So, um, I, I got on the phone with my dad after, and I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to drive home because my hospital is about, I live in Los Angeles. So yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of traffic. Even just traffic alone, it could be five minutes away, but with traffic, exactly. it could be two hours. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So my hospital is about 19 miles, which could be up to an hour during rush hour. And because this was like a later afternoon appointment, I was like, okay, I have to drive home in traffic. My dad was like, calm yourself down, you know, like go home. And I was like, dad, I don't want to tell anybody. I don't, I don't want to tell anybody who's like, it's fine. I will call who needs to be called, which was my mom and my siblings. Um, because that is really like my support system. Um, I had already told my wife at the time and, um, not my wife at the time. At the time, right. <laughs> I told my wife. Right. <laughs> she is still my wife. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and I drove home and my wife and I cried because we knew. It's not like there wasn't a whole lot of hope at that point. And even after I went in Monday morning and I knew there was a chance that it wasn't, but my all the chances actually really pointed to, yes, this is cancer. And yeah, you're going to have to get treatment. And, you know, at that point I was like, okay, well, how bad is it? It's not that bad. I'm still in stage one or two. They weren't sure what staging was at the time. But um, I had gone in Monday morning. So my mammogram was on a Friday, went in Monday morning and got my biopsy. And by Tuesday morning, um, my gynecologist called me and told me it was um, invasive ductal carcinoma um, and it had spread to two of my lymph nodes. And um, at that point, I was just praying that I had some sort of receptor status um, because there are additional treatments if you're either ERPR positive or her, her two positive. So, um, it was a whirlwind after that, you know, like the amount of doctors you will see, I don't even think, think people know how many people are on a cancer team, but you have multiple doctors in all different areas. You have social workers, you have a nutritionist, you have so many people who are getting you through your cancer treatment. So I met with my oncologist. I met with my breast surgeon and I found out I was HER2 positive. And that was a lower percentage of people are HER2 positive. It's only about 25% of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer will be HER2 positive. Um, But I knew that I was going to have additional infusions for a year after that. And then I was just waiting to see if I would have to do dreaded chemo. And the answer was yes. And um, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. So oh, here I, was, I am a year later. But you're here. You're here. I and am. we're so happy you were here. <laughs> 100% so happy you were here. And, you know, and I think it also shows that 
you know, in the depths of even me when I was going through my treatment, I mean, there were days I couldn't get out of bed. There were days yeah. that I was I was devastated, as you had mentioned, and felt destroyed and just felt broken and, you know, all the things. And now we're here on another side of it and it never goes away. I never stop thinking about it. I think about it every single day of my life, <clears throat> but I have a stronger sense of strength maybe um, that I was able to get to this point and know that I survived it. I think that's why they call survivors maybe, but know that we survived that awful, painful part of our lives and still grew from it to a certain extent, yeah. you know, yeah. and we'll be here today to talk about it. Yeah. I think so. um, survivor is such a good way to put it. And I am really embracing the title way more than warrior. People would always say breast cancer warrior. And I was like, that's just not an appropriate description of what going through cancer is like. You are literally surviving treatment. It is not, it is not for the faint of heart, both literally and figuratively. Like you have to get, you have a cardiologist too. I don't think people really understand the depths in which um, chemo will and can destroy your body. And I don't know that, you know, I, I, I was actually discussing this with a friend yesterday and she goes in for regular checkups because her aunt's grandma and her mom, in fact, passed away from breast cancer. And this is one of my best friends. And I know that she was like, why does every woman who is important to me, why do they all get breast cancer? And I was like, shitty luck, honestly, <laughs> you can yeah. take that out. Bad luck. Yeah. And I was like, I, no point did I ever feel like a warrior. I feel like a survivor. I survived um, an insanely traumatic, mentally, physically horrible event in my life. And that's what I did. I was not, I did not warrior through. There were days where I couldn't move. And so um, I was, I am a survivor. That's all I did was survive what happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And there was people that would, you know, because I shared my my journey, my second journey. I went through it twice, but I, I shared my second journey since I had a platform on Instagram. A, because mm -hmm. the first time I went through it, I didn't really tell many people. And I felt so alone. I felt like no one understood what I was going through. And it just, it made it so much harder. So the second mm -hmm. time... I, I shared with more people so I wouldn't feel so alone and maybe in hopes that I would help other people as well at the same time. So I was very open about my my journey and I still am. Um, but people would always say, you're so strong. You're so strong. And it, it did. It was kind of that same warrior type feeling. That word just hit me and it didn't feel very good. And I, I, mm. I'd respond and say, well, I didn't have a choice. Well, mm -hmm. What else was I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. I had to survive. I, I have, <laughs> you know, a spouse and kids and a career and my life. I wanted to live my life. I and mean, both of us are very young. I mean, we were both yeah. diagnosed before we were 40. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think there's so many things that irk me about that too, which we can get into, but you yeah. know, cause most women aren't even told to get their first mammogram until at <sighs> least 40, if not 50. Yeah, there's a lot of people up here that say 50, and I'm thinking, I well, know, Allison, you and I were in our 30s when we got diagnosed, yes. and we didn't have and any other symptoms, really. Yes, it, it was a fluke. Again. Yes, it so was a fluke. It just makes me so angry that mammograms are supposed to be preventative, mm -hmm. yet and help save our lives, right? Because mm -hmm. we 
happenstantially were lucky enough to go in there for whatever reason. But if those women out there aren't even told to get mammograms until 40 or 50, if they go under the radar too, by the time if they do end up getting breast cancer, by the time it's caught, they're going to be at a later stage and it's going to be yeah. harder to survive that. Yeah. So it's just, there's so many, you know, holes in the system for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but speaking of that, I mean, we both were young, obviously when we were, we were, we were diagnosed. Um, did you ever have a history of, of breast cancer in your family or did you do any of the genetic testing, uh, you know, when you were going through it? Yeah. So, um, no, and not um, important history, which would have been grandma, aunt, mom, sister. Um, no, at the time, no, I had no history. It was a complete shock. All my genetic testing came back normal. Now I am Ashkenazi Jew, which um, you actually have a higher rate of about 40 times more likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer as an Ashkenazi right. Jew. Um, though typically it's tied to the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene. Um, and I, I am negative for both, both of those. I do have some distant cousins who do, who were diagnosed with breast cancer. My great grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer in the (laughs) forties, but she lived to 96, which they just did not have, um, the kind of treatments that they even have now. Right. And so, um, she just did like a, a lumpectomy. They just took it out. And then she, she was diagnosed pretty young in her forties. Um, and she's fine. But ironically, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer about seven months after me and she's not Ashkenazi Jew. So, um, we don't know. (laughs) It ended up being like a very, they're all the puzzle. We have all these puzzle pieces and none of them fit, I guess is probably the best way to describe it because, um, the Ashkenazi Jew comes from my dad's side, not my mom's side. Wow. That's so interesting. How is your mom doing? Is she, is she going through treatments now or is she on the other side at this point or? Yes. So she, um, she was caught even earlier than me just on a routine mammogram, which is why those routine mammograms are so important because it was not a lump you could feel. It was even smaller than mine. Mine you couldn't feel and mine was very small. Um, Hers was even smaller. And it was caught on a routine mammogram. Now she is ERPR positive and she is That's what I am. different stage. Oh. Yep. Yep. And so she got her lumpectomy. She did radiation. And then now she is on um, a pill for the next five to 10 years, depending. Um, right. So she is, I guess, like you, um, still in treatment. I think people think they're like, okay, so you're good now. I was like, I will never be good. I will never be okay again. I will never be the same. This is a life altering experience and you never go back to who you were. And honestly, um, as much as I loved her and I've mourned her because she's not coming back. I am a different person now. Um, and I can't go back, you know, like the thing is with growth and with moving on, you can only go forward. So I'm never going to be her again because she's behind me. So hundred percent, I can so relate to that. And I think that's why, you know, when I have a friend and if you have someone 
or another piece of advice that might be helpful. I'd love to hear it. Um, I had a friend say the other day, uh, you know, they know someone that just was just diagnosed with breast cancer and they said, how can I help them? How can I help her? And I said, get her into a support group, if you will, of other people who are going through the same thing, because mm-hmm. I'm sure she has maybe a, a partner or, a, you know, parents, you know, siblings that could help her in, in that way. But she needs to find someone who's actually gone through it to really understand what it feels like to be that person mm-hmm. um, with cancer. I'm going to go into a little more detail in just a second, but we're going to take a quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all-around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life, and sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn, so I always keep Pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol, use as directed and keep out of reach of children. So I was saying that my friend you know, had told me that a friend of hers was diagnosed with breast cancer and was asking for advice. And, and I think, like I said, that's why I shared so much about it on my social media platforms is to, to know that I was someone that someone could come to if they were going through. And I met so many women over the years and men get it too. I know men, men do (laughs) breast cancer, but there's been so many women over the years since I've shared that have DM'd me and said, I'm going through something similar. And not every breast cancer case is the same. I mean, everyone has a little bit of different story. Um, you were saying how you had such a tiny, you know, I guess lump of your mass, if you will, mm-hmm. um, but you couldn't feel it. And I didn't even have a lump or a mass at all. When I was first diagnosed, actually both times I was diagnosed, um, it was a cluster of calcifications that looked suspicious. So it couldn't even have been anything that you can even feel. It was all under the skin, right? And it was, you know, inside the milk duct. But, you know, I said, get a support group because like you said, there is such a morning time. There is such a morning time. It is a traumatic experience and you do suffer a trauma. And so, you know, as a therapist, you know, you know, when you suffer a trauma, you, you um, have these, I guess, emotional uh, feelings that, that correlates with any type of trauma that people have. And that part, I think people don't get because they, like you said, oh, you're good now. You know, you're done with all your treatments and whatnot, so you're good, right? Um, And it's like you said that you have to kind of mourn that person that you were before because your mind just thinks differently now Mm -hmm. and you just just feel differently now. And I don't know how you feel about this, but there was, you know, you shared your story very outwardly on social media as well Mm -hmm. and even more maybe than I did. And I remember most people were very supportive. Most people. There were a few that would say things like, why are you exploiting your story? Why are you exploiting breast cancer? You know, are you just trying to get attention? Did you ever have that type of feedback? I'm sure most of it was positive as well. But did you ever have people say things like that, which I know just hurt to the core, but. Uh, I Uh, I had, um, a completely different experience. Um, I was, um, a lot of people would trauma dump on me Mm. and then say, why aren't you giving me back? Why aren't you giving me more? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Why am I not giving more? I'm giving everything that I can, that I am able to. 
You know, like we are all multifaceted, smart humans, right? Who have dealt with, especially as adults, a wide range of emotions. And when someone says, hey, I'm really struggling with this, I shared my story because I the the platform that I have built is one that is intimate and um, close, and they see a lot of who I am and the relationship with my wife. So this was a natural segue to share this process because I had no idea what it was like to be diagnosed with cancer. And like I said, I've seen friends go through it. I've seen family members go through it. But nothing that touched me the way, obviously, that um, it as as yourself going through it. So I tried to share an intimate look of what it's like to go through a serious cancer diagnosis. Um, and so as and it's funny because the people that I got negative feedback from were not actual cancer. Um, patients themselves. It was somebody who was just, you know, on the outside looking in. So I think the best example of this was a woman who messaged me at 8 p.m. on a Friday night. And this was just a few weeks ago and said, my, not even my mom, my best friend's mom, who's like a second mother to me, was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Can I pick your brain for a minute? I didn't respond because it was 8 p.m. on a Friday night. If she's been following me, she knows I have family. She knows that I have two small children. She knows that I am dealing with PTSD. I've been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And she'll understand. Nope. Monday morning, got an email. I would think that someone like you would want to respond and help their audience and blah, 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 and just attacked me. And I was like, this, this is not how you do it. Mm -mm." Wow. And I'm still in treatment. Yeah, I am still in treatment and I am dealing with what could be lifelong side effects from chemo. I can't feel my fingers. I can't feel my toes. I have pain from here to here. I had 33 rounds of radiation. That was just over six weeks, and um, I am still I'm still dealing with chronic pain, and I'm dealing with side effects that mimic the cancer effect, like cancer things that led me to go to a doctor, and so um, the PTSD is very hard because I'm dealing with side effects that mimic cancer, and I was like, you know what. <laughs> I I have given so much I as much as I can as much as I can humanly possible and if that's not good enough there is nothing more I can do for you right and um I think that people don't understand the way that it affects your entire life it affects the way that you even interact with the world and um you know, I am, I am a, I am a two on the Enneagram. I love to help people. Um, it breaks my heart that I can't help people more that I can't do more, but I'm doing as much as I can. And the fact that I have someone who is a follower 
I was like, you know what? You are just an unkind soul. And I hope that in your next life, you find some empathy. (laughs) Totally. Oh, totally. That's just horrific. And like you said, you're, you're not only experiencing those physical, let's say side effects and um, ailments, you're also dealing with the psychological side effects of something like Mm -hmm. this, right? Like I said, that trauma Mm -hmm. response and the PTSD and, you know, your mental health and, and it's hard because I think everyone expects you to be a certain way by a certain point. And if you're not, then they think, well, then what's wrong with you? And, you know, for us, we both, we both have, you know, small children and, yeah. you know, you're, you're a mom and you got to take care of your kids, but then you also have to yeah. keep, take care of yourself. And that can be really overwhelming when you're in that mental and physical state of mind and, yeah. you know can be very debilitating to day-to-day life. So people don't always see that, even on social media. I mean, you could say that in your stories all day long, but I don't think Mm -hmm. people know what that experience is like unless they've Mm -hmm. gone through something similar. Um, But there was one time I was going through my radiation treatment and uh, I was in a COBRA insurance situation and they didn't file the paperwork when they were supposed to. And so if anyone who's listening is out there and either experiences or just for you know knowledge sake, after you get your surgeries, you're supposed to go to radiation within a certain amount of time. I believe it's four mm-hmm. weeks, correct? And it's, it was yeah, it was something it's, it's, had- you went during a different time, so the guidelines could have changed. But I think it's within twelve is now so twelve weeks. Luckily, okay. luckily now it's it's a little bit longer because I think oh, they're finding good. with complications and you know they've done enough studies that I. I think it was 12. I will say you and I had different diagnosis. So you true. may have a different guidelines too. So every, That's every true. cancer treatment is different. So mine yes. was a different surgery and diagnosis. So I will and- say that. That is true. And I think that's good to remember, too, uh, because just because no two breast cancers look the same, Mm -mm. right? And I think Mm -hmm. that's so good to know is when you are talking to someone who who is going through it, they might have a whole different path or trajectory of of what their treatment looks like, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, but either way, there, there's there's a time frame of when you have to start getting your radiation by, or it's really not effective and, and whatnot. Yes. So that's, and then that you know, still remains true. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going through this Cobra thing with insurance, and I felt so helpless at the time because I needed that radiation. Like that was gonna to me that was gonna save my life, right? Yes. You know, I had the surgery, yeah. but now I needed this extra step. And insurance wasn't helping me. And I remember calling my oncologist and saying, I need to do this. And I remember, and I won't say who it is, but I remember someone turning to me and saying, why are you making this sound like a life or death situation? It won't be the end of the world if you don't get radiation or get it when you want it. I was mind blown. I wish someone could see your face right now. It is literally a life and death situation. I am so angry for you. I I can't I know. Oh, I was... They're so out of touch with reality. (laughs) I was livid. I was livid. And they said, well, you had a very early stage, you know, diagnosis. You know, you know, you're going to live through it. You're not literally going to die from this. So why are you, you know, making it so dramatic, basically? I wrote a whole blog post about it because I was so livid about it. You know, it's just, like I said, people just, you know, whether it's behind a computer screen or even face to face, sometimes sometimes the worst, uh, the harshest, let's say, criticisms come from some of our closest friends and family, right? Because yeah. they judge us the hardest. 
So, you know, I just, for anyone who's, who's going through something similar, you know, it's you you might get some of that feedback and that's really hard to take. Like you said, yeah. on top of everything else that you're going through mentally, physically and, and whatnot. So, um, anyway, I just wanted to share, I, I know you shared your, you know, some of that and I wanted to share that too, because there is an ugly side to it. There definitely mm-hmm. is an ugly side to it. And, you know, um, like I said, it, it's it's something that I that I live with and think about every day. I know you do too. I'm, I'm sure everyone who is out there is. Uh, I wish there there was some um, more preventative things we can do. Um, I know I did actually did a podcast last year around this time that talked about things that we can possibly have in our control if there's even such a thing about <laughs> like the things we eat or the thing you know the yeah. certain things to avoid and and things like that. So I don't know. Have you changed any of your lifestyle? Um, since all of this about maybe some like eating organic, for instance, or drinking less alcohol, exercising more, all the things they say you're supposed to do. So I quit drinking completely. So I have now been sober for just over a year. I actually quit drinking before my diagnosis because um, I don't know, I was like associating alcohol with um, whatever was going on before I was even diagnosed. So I just quit drinking completely because that's what I, I, I don't know. I was trying everything at that point because I could not, I couldn't feel my left arm. So, um, and I had no idea what it was. (laughs) It was cancer, but um, I will say it did. I went, when people ask like, what, you know, how did you know? I was like, well, it didn't get better. Like I, I just, I couldn't feel my. I couldn't feel my hand and then I couldn't feel this part of my arm, like the upper half of my arm. And, um, we think it's because, um, some, it was like being pushed on someone like my nerve endings under my armpit and I'm neurodivergent. So I notice eat the smallest things that are off and being neurodivergent and diagnosed with cancer, whole different thing. There's a whole different because I've had other people ask me, like, how did you handle that? I was like, um, it really went poorly for me. I had four blood transfusions. And um, I think that there, I think that there is, there is a bigger picture when it comes to neurodivergence and being diagnosed with something medically. Um, And so what happened to me, the way that I figured out it was cancer was I was like, something is not right in my body and I can feel it. And like, it's, it, it it won't stop until it's gone. And so even now, like, that's why I don't have feeling in some of my hands and my feet is, you know, still my left side, like I can't feel the tips of my fingers, but that's because all the nerve endings are all messed up after surgery. So Oh, yeah, I have I have some of the, the nerve damage as well in my right arm. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have chemo specifically, but um, I've heard that even sometimes the radiation can do some of that. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know where I should point the finger, but I definitely have some of that too. And that will, you know, that physical ailment yeah. will be with me forever. Uh-huh. Um, to wrap it up, I know we're, we're running out of time. I feel like I could talk to you all day about this. I so, know. <laughs> um, but I have a few more questions for you. One is yeah. talking about when we brought up earlier about how the friend, you know, what do I do when my friend has breast cancer? What would you suggest? You know, I suggested maybe a group, um, like maybe a Facebook group or some type of in-person group or something um, so they can connect with other people kind of going through something similar. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not, or if you have any other suggestions, but what helped you get through it? Or what would you recommend if someone comes to you and, and, and says, how should I help them? What can I do to support them? What would be your advice on that? Um, feed their family. So if you can send a Grubhub, if you don't live in town, you send a gift card 
or whatever so they can just postmates or uber eats or whatever food um physically the the warming blanket was my best friend i was cold all the time i was very anemic chemo made me very very anemic i was very sick um i had a lot of infections it was not chemo was the worst um but the heating blanket was my best friend and um just continue to check in even if they don't respond I didn't respond to anybody, but I read every single text message that came across. And my friends, luck, I don't know how I lucked out with the friend group that I had, um, but they knew. They knew. Not one of them was ever like, you never respond. You never, they didn't expect anything. And they gave everything to me. And um, that was the most helpful was knowing that if they're not responding, even after months, it's not because they don't want to, they are just not in a place to respond and they will come back. I did come back even if it took a year. And for some people it took a year. I just had lunch with one of my very close friends and we were talking, we both had a good cry because she missed me and I missed her. And I said, but I'll never be the same. And she was like, that's okay. You're still here. Yeah. So it's beautiful, beautiful to have that support, right? Yeah. Um, Just quickly to touch on how breast cancer affects our family members. Uh, I know, I'm sure it affected, you know, my spouse and my kids. How did it affect your wife and, and your kids? Um, I, I don't remember their ages, if you want to share that, um, if, and then yeah. just how they experienced it as well. Because, you know, it's it's hard when you're especially living in the same home with someone going through all this. You know, your kids are seeing you laying on the couch, possibly feeling mm-hmm. ill, you know, going to the hospital constantly. And, you know, that could be very anxiety provoking for children. And then, you know, our, our partners are watching us go through it and they're wanting to help and support us. And sometimes they're not sure how to. So what was that experience like for them? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we talk a lot about grieving outward. And so luckily my kids and my wife had a phenomenal, we have a phenomenal family support system and they were absolutely able to grieve outward. I have a four and a six year old and they're both in therapy now and they will be, they're in trauma therapy and they should be. Um, because like I said, um, chemo affects everybody differently. Some people, um, are just really tired by it. I got infection after infection. I was incredibly sick. I was at very low levels of potassium. Like I was missing nutrients. My red blood cell count was insanely low. My hemoglobin was low. I got, like I said, four different blood transfusions. I was very sick. Chemo I felt like I was dying and where my levels were at, it looked like I was dying. So, um, it was, it was terrifying and it was terrifying for my family. It was terrifying for my kids and I was sick for 18 weeks and now, and it affected my youngest probably the most. And that is because she has her own set of medical trauma. Um, she was diagnosed with transposition of the great arteries when I was pregnant with her. So she had open heart surgery and she's had multiple surgeries since that have indirectly been related to her, um, heart. 
Um, they're just things that affect, you'd be amazed at what the heart <laughs> does for your body. Uh, yeah. um, that it can, oh, yes. That it can affect a lot of other things. So she, wow. um, she is in, tra- she is specifically in trauma therapy. My daughter, my older daughter has a therapist that works specifically for her, but my younger daughter is in trauma therapy and she really struggled a lot. And she is still struggling, I think, to trust that I'm here because she and I were, very, we're just close. Me and, and I, you know, when you're pregnant with your kids, if you ever are pregnant with kids, um, it is a really deep connection with your child. And my older daughter is just a little more independent and she just, she likes to spend time on her own. My younger daughter is very cuddly and very like, she is just, I always say if she could just crawl back in, she would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I so know what that's I like. Just, yeah. Uh-huh. So it was very hard for her because I was in so much physical pain um, that she couldn't hug me or cuddle with me. And that was really hard for her. And so now she just gets all the cuddles that she possibly can, but she has to retrust again. She's learning to gain her trust back because she lost a lot of it. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary to be that young and even cognitively not really being able to understand all of it a hundred percent, but then you see it and you're living it Mm -hmm. and you do understand enough. I mean, I think we don't give kids enough credit sometimes for what they do understand and what they do witness. Absolutely do. You know, and, um, and it it is a trauma for them as well. And just Mm -hmm. trying to, um, put all the pieces together. And then of course, as moms, you know, we might feel that mom guilt that comes in or even just the fear of maybe, losing this life that we have, you know, even mm-hmm. if we, even if we know that at the end of the day, okay, we're, we're going to be okay. But we feel like, like you said, that we're so sick in that one moment, um, yeah. that it's, it's hard. To, you just have to take it day, day to day because it's so hard just to get through the day and there's so much to lose, you know, our, our family and our kids and all these things. And, um, our mind just goes in all the places and, um, it's, it's, it's a really, really hard experience. So, um, I'm just, I'm just so thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you shared your story. I hope it helps someone else out there who's listening, um, whether they, you said there's the statistics are one in eight. So whether they don't have it personally, um, they may know someone that does, chances are they do. um, You will. Yeah, or you will. People don't understand. You will have a friend, a family member. You will have someone diagnosed in your life. The the odds are just too high. Absolutely. It's so unfortunate, um, you know, yeah. how many of us there are out there. But, um, but you know, early prevention, treatment. So everyone who's listening, please it, it, go get a mammogram. If you're if you're at that age where you, you can get one, get one. Mm-hmm. If you have a history, you can always sometimes get them early if you really yeah. fight for it. Um, save for it if you need to do it out of pocket. If you have to, if you have that gut feeling, that instinct that yeah. something's not right go to the doctor, um, you know, and try and try and get that done. Allison, where can people um, follow you to just follow more of your journey and your story and get to know you better? Well, on Instagram, you can follow me at Allison Mertzman. And on TikTok, you can find me on Thirsty on Maine. I love it. And <laughs> we didn't get to talk about that yet, but I know we're both. We didn't. <laughs> 
So that could be a whole nother episode. So Disney followers out there and, you know, lots of love for Disney out there. So um, she does also do a lot of Disney content too, for anyone who's listening and, and, you know, we'll get to that. And I know just wrapping it up, speaking of that, you know, Disney was always such a, they was, you know, it's so cliche sometimes to say it's so magical, but it really helped me during some of this experience, you know, to just kind of escape, if you will. I'm using my my air quotations, escape and kind of get your mind off of some of these things. Now, granted, if you're not physically well enough to go to somewhere like Disneyland, you know, that's another story. But um, but it was just nice sometimes to kind of be that have Disney there to be an escape of hope and happiness. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but sometimes some of those Disney movies, even at home on Disney Plus or whatever the case is, kind of got me through some of those rough times. Um, I'm sure you can relate to that as well. Yes, Disney. um, Disney is my happy place, which you and I definitely relate on that level. Ironically enough, I started out as a Disney content creator, but nobody wanted to watch my stuff as a Disney content creator. So um, I started my platform on TikTok, which was LGBT. Now it's LGBTQ, a lot of advocacy and just like the relationship with my wife and I. But, you know, I still consider myself Disney adjacent because I, I talk about Disney stuff. And ironically, I got my first Disney media invite. And for those who are Disney content creators or love Disney, like, That's a big deal. this is a I big deal. I remember my first one too. It was a big yes. deal. <laughs> it's a very big deal. And I got it um, in the midst of my cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Went Couldn't to my oncologist. Yep. Went to my oncologist and I was like, look, can I please go to this? I have worked for many years to get to this point. And she was like, you got to go. So I did go to my first Disney media invite and it was phenomenal. Uh-huh. I 100% agree. And then COVID <laughs> didn't help because then with all the masks and the extra precautions, mm-hmm. you know, we won't get into all that. Everyone knows, no. you know, yeah. how hard that's been, especially, yeah. you know, in the hospital or, you know, um, yeah. health type setting that threw a huge curveball, I'm sure, in the last, you know, year that you've, year yeah. plus that you've been experiencing what you've been experiencing. But um, I don't even know if people like my Disney content, but I just posted anyway because it makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. And- so I just posted anyway. So yeah, Allison, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you, so <laughs> thank you for being here me. and sharing everything. And I hope everyone follows along because I just love your story and I love everything that you do. And um, whenever I see your posts, um, you know, unless it's a serious post about something you're going through, obviously my heart goes out to that. But um, the other posts that you do that are Disney created uh, or content created or whatever it is, um, just always make me smile. So thank you for doing thank what you, you do. And keep doing it. <laughs> okay, I will. thank you for joining me today i cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes if you are a new listener i recommend starting at my best of year one episode first then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing and when you love an episode please leave a review and if you want to stay connected between episodes please visit me on social media at the parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.